You're listening to Data Plus Love. I'm your host, Zach Bowders, and I'm here today with Kafar Shaw, the 2020 Vizzy Award winner for Biggest Growth. You might know him from his prolific Tableau public portfolio with 115 visas to date. You might have seen him as part of the uh, the crazy team they have over at Comcast right now with uh, folks like Josh Tapley going on. Um, but I've mostly seen him through some of his really fun genre visas like work on The Matrix, Goosebumps, and The Boys. Uh, Gafar, how are you doing tonight? I am doing really great, Zach. How are you? I'm great. I'm excited to be talking with you. We've uh, we've talked on Twitter just a little bit off and on, but uh, we've never actually talked like this, which is one of the reasons I wanted to do the podcast in the first place, because I found like it's great to have a Twitter conversation with people, but face-to-face interaction, even if it is over a Zoom call, is just one of those lost art forms uh, that particularly in 2020 and 2021, uh, we're not getting enough of. So it's really great to sort of be interacting with you and getting to know you better. You are a super prolific Tableau public creator. As I said, you've got like 115 public visits. How long have you been doing uh, work on Tableau public at this point? I've been on Tableau public for about two and a half years now. Um, at you know, two and a half years ago when I joined the Tableau community, I actually had no clue where to start, to be honest. Uh, At the time, I was also looking for my first internship at Comcast. And I met Josh Tapley, uh, who was really, uh, he was really, you know, in the Tableau community sharing his work all the time. And he introduced me to Tableau Public. And he was like, Afar, you need to check this out. This is a really awesome, you know, place to like build up your Tableau portfolio. So ever since then, you know, I started participating in Makeover Monday and building out my Tableau dashboards. And that's kind of like how I progressed into the Tableau community and staying connected with all my Tableau peers. That's really cool. Um, when you first were getting started with that kind of work, were you doing a lot of the public exercises? Like I see you've got a lot of Makeover Mondays out there, which is one of the, I sort of think of it as like baby's first public exercise not in a way that's like demeaning to Tableau public or to Makeover Monday, but I think it's one of the biggest ones out there. So a lot of people stumble upon it first. Is that where you began or were you doing like personal projects that you sort of came up with first? So it's kind of where I began. Um, So I do want to make like, I'm not design savvy at all. So when I started on the Tableau community, uh, the first thing I thought of was, hey, you know what? Let me just do what Josh Tapley mentioned, just start participating in Makeover Mondays. And my first actual Makeover Monday viz was a was a viz a visualization looking at all the bear attacks in the U.S. And it was funny because I had no idea like how to get artistic with this dashboard. Uh, in my family, I'm like the least uh, like designer. Like I'm I'm not really a great designer in my family at all. So everyone else, all my siblings, my parents, they can paint, they can draw, but I can't do any of that stuff. So I went on Google Images. I found a picture of a bear. I put it on the Tableau dashboard. I was like, here I am. Here's the stats. That's all I need to do. And I tweeted it out on Maker of Monday. And folks were like, awesome job, Kafar. You know, this is really great. And I was like, oh, wow. I mean, this is, I thought, I thought my dashboard wasn't great, but it actually was great. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's cool that you found a way to express your creativity that maybe you hadn't thought of leading up to that because sort of getting your hands dirty and playing with data and stuff, most people don't intuitively take a leap as to, hey, this can be like an artistic venture, not just by sort of adding clip art, but like at, over time, as you know, if I look at your own work, you've gotten a lot more savvy about where you want to put things, how you want to color things, 
how you're going to use text to emphasize stuff. And I mean, layout is such an important feature of stuff that really elevates um, the the charts that you're putting on a page. I mean, we talk about at JLL um, about ink on a page uh, because obviously we're not going for art when we're doing our stuff at work, but we are thinking about um, how much you're putting out there and the fact that if you just put too much on a single page, like people tune out because there's too much noise. Yeah. So you want to like make sure you're putting the stuff on there that's most important, which is also what you kind of do when you're doing like a personal project, right? Because whether it's, you know, making a savvier use of title and getting creative by sort of grabbing some clip art or designing something or, uh, you know, using a different color background or different colors than you would use at work. There's lots of ways you can... Um, sort of bring that creativity to the mix that you wouldn't necessarily on a business project. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I started out, uh, a lot of my visits had white backgrounds and I wasn't really sure on the, like my type of color palette that I should be using for the dashboards I was cre creating and building out. And like maybe on my 50th viz or probably the hundredth viz, I can't remember, but I actually started to find an interest in using dark backgrounds. I thought that like dark backgrounds, and vivid colors. So if you notice like on my portfolio, a lot of my dashboards are all um, like with dark backgrounds, but I use colors that literally explode in front of your face. <laughs> I was totally gonna say something about that because as I was scrolling through, because before I have people on, I if they are sort of a featured, um, if they are a featured author type person that's doing lots of tablet public work, or if they run a website or whatever, I always go and review a bunch of their stuff. As I was scrolling through your portfolio, I go down the bottom and I start going up and it was almost exclusively white backgrounds up to a certain point. And then with the exception of a couple, it's been almost all dark since then. So you sort of found something that was really working well for you. And you sort of made this creative uh, leap at one point where you're like, you know, I find uh, dark backgrounds to be like a better like canvas for the stuff I want to make. Like I think of it like, I don't know if you ever uh, saw the Batman animated series that they sort of had in the 90s. It's sort of had like a revival as it's come to Amazon and stuff. But one of the things they did with that, that cartoon that was unique was they decided they wanted to animate their cells on top of a black background. So most, you know, cell shaded art and animations that people do, they're drawing in a white background and then they add color later, but they did the opposite and started in a black background and then added their colors on top of that and sort of gave this sort of smokiness and more noir uh, feel to it, which is what they were going for. They were going for like a 1930s, 40s style, uh, you know, art deco and noir touch to the show. And that came through. And I think, Maybe that's something that you sort of picked up on as you were doing more of your public work. You're like, wow, like black sort of suits my aesthetic better. So if I use a darker background, then I can sort of layer on my graphics and my charts and that sort of thing. Like, is it something you consciously did or um, is it you just started doing it one day and you're like, wow, like I'm I'm doing black and it's working really well for me? Yeah, I kind of like one day and I was like, I can't remember what my first viz was. Oh, I do remember actually. Um, back like back in 2019 in June, um, I actually participated in an Iron Viz at Comcast. It was like an internal Iron Viz competition, and um, I had a the data set that they gave me was Game of Thrones, right? So I am a huge Game of Thrones fan, and I was like, you know what? I mean, Game of Thrones, black background makes sense. So I used a dark back background and blue colors. And it really popped like the the blue color really popped like on the dark background. I, that's something that was really new to me. Right. And it was like 
at, during that time, I was actually starting out in the Makeover Monday community. So that's like when I kind of realized, hey, you know what, let me start using dark backgrounds. And it went like from there on, it just kind of went on and I started using the dark backgrounds and it went really well for me. Yeah, I think uh, for a lot of people, there's a point at which stuff sort of clicks and they find sort of their own personal thing. I know when I started doing a lot of public work, um, when I first started, I was doing a lot of Makeover Mondays. And I realized that a lot of times I wasn't necessarily super jazzed by the data set. So when that was the case, I would try to get creative by doing something funky with the charts, often which like led to less intelligible charts because I, I was really finding my way. And uh, rather than trying to find something interesting in the data itself, or alternatively, go find my own data set I found more interesting. I was um, basically goofing around and trying to make something artistic um, when I was bored. Um, so what I started <laughs> doing instead was, and I think this is when people sort of started to notice some of my work, was when I just started doing work that I was interested in rather than just grabbing the public data sets, which is, I think for a lot of people, a certain natural evolution, like Lindsay Betzendahl is a uh, health person, right? So she started project health viz where they do health center data sets. So she sort of had her niche out there and was like, I'd like to do more of this kind of thing. And I'd like to give other people the opportunity as well. So for me, it was like, well, you know, I'd like to do more stuff with movies and I like genre stuff and I like comics and I like TV shows and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. obviously I like, um, I like some more important stuff too. Like I'm a big find of fan of gap, uh, minder and Hans Rosling's work, but like sometimes when you're working with like important stuff, like, you know, sort of the progression of human society and vaccinations and, and that sort of thing, there's a much bigger obligation to get it right than when you're counting like how many people John Wick shot in minute 37. Uh, so, you know, I, I tend to skew more towards the how many people did John Wick shoot? Is that something that you feel also? Because I know you sort of bounce back and forth between the stuff. You, you have a lot of like, you know, I call it genre stuff, but a lot of TV shows and movies and that sort of stuff in your portfolio too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I'm really, really interested in sci-fi action movies. Uh, I watch a lot of uh, the Matrix, um, the Matrix one, the two, and the you know, and all that stuff, and Goosebumps and the Boys. I, I mean, I'm like, I am really interested in those kind of stuff, especially um, when it comes to like gruesome and horror movies. Uh, one of my latest visits that I did looked at the Boys, and the Boys phase was not something I actually had planned. Right, I love watching the boys it's like a more gruesome version of the marvel which is kind of funny <laughs> i'm sorry for all the marvel fans <laughs> but the boys fizz i mean i watched every single episode and counted the number of on-screen kills by the seven superheroes right so there's there's i mean if you haven't seen the boys before uh there's a group of like te like heroes right they're called the seven and all this, but they're not really great, right? They're not good people. I, I mean, from my opinion, and they actually kill like normal civilians. So I went and we rewatched every single The Boys episode until like you know, and made a head count. Like, how many people did this superhero kill? How many did this one kill? And I just kind of like built something together um, in Figma. I, I I use Figma for my dashboard wireframing a lot. And I just created something and looking at all the kills and, you know, by terrorists, civilians and all that stuff. 
And it was, I don't know, it was just something that interested me because I was interested in this kind of type of genre. So I thought it was something that was really cool and very new to me too. Yeah, I mean, on this particular viz, you chose these fonts that really popped and were sort of evocative of like a more classic superhero comic. So like The Boys was originally created by Garth Ennis, who is known for sort of his shock of violence comics. Um, like, like I am a big comic reader and like the boys comic itself was too much for me. I'm like, okay, like not, not my thing. The show itself is so over the top in like how horrible the people are. So essentially like what it does is it takes the idea of superheroes and marries it to celebrity culture. So you've got all the sort of terrible excesses of Hollywood combined with people with the powers of like Superman. So like, you've got like the horrifying, like casting couch behavior. You've got (laughs) the just general discarding of human life and all of that, that, you know, we've, we've seen in like Hollywood as it's sort of been more public the past few years with like me too and stuff like that coming out of Hollywood. And like, that's what the seven are. Like they're these people that have been told you're the most important person in the world. And then they believe it. Right. And yeah. then they behave accordingly. But you've got the the sort of um, the boys themselves are this sort of ragtag group of, I don't know, they're kind of like terrorists, I guess, that all have a beef with these people in some capacity and have decided to try to take them down. But it's, it's a lot of fun, like how you sort of went after like the who's killing who and why. And, you know, it's just the, the color choices are great, too, because you talk about using black backgrounds. And you sort of um, you go bluey black on this. And I think that's a far better choice. Uh, you have white and, bl- and uh, red text to so sort of white as your descriptors for all your stuff. You know, so you've got editorial in here. You've got descriptions of, you know, how many terrorists are killed, how many civilians, that sort of thing. And then red for the actual fatalities, which is, you know, fun when you're dealing with something that's that's fictional. Um, I've once in the past got a little heat online because I described a viz where someone used like, I think it was uh, fatalities in the Middle East conflict uh, that the US has has been in off and on for a while. And they use like uh, the bar charts inverted coming down from the top of the screen like blood drops. And I referred to it as sort of excessively gruesome. Because like, for me, it's like when you're dealing with something real, like, by sort of choosing to make it almost like cartoony, like by making blood drops out of it, I'm like, eh, I find this really distasteful. When it's something silly, like, you know, superheroes killing each other, that's when I would go for like, you know, blood splatters on the screen or, you know, stuff like that. And I think you did a really fun job here of sort of walking through this season, uh, particularly with, um, you know, all the different characters and who's who's been killing and stuff. Because, I mean, it's a messed up show. Like, there's no doubt about it. The boy is yeah. like, you know, yeah. It's not the show you recommend to your mom unless your mom likes really messed up stuff. But <laughs> it's fun in the sense that the people are so massively flawed. I remember I go for uh, walks maybe three, four times a week with my friend David Kelly, who we used to work together and we live one neighborhood apart. So we still go for a walk in the park at lunch. And I was telling him about the boys, particularly like the character, The Deep, who is closest, I guess, tied to like Aquaman, that kind of thing. And uh, the deep is a character who is just so deeply personally flawed and every choice he makes only makes his life worse and worse in ways that are so amusing to watch. Like he decides to rescue a dolphin or something from SeaWorld. Yeah. And like accidentally launches it out of the van that he's driving like into the street. 
Yeah, I actually included that um, that kill in my viz. I thought it would be, I wasn't sure at first. I was like, you know what? Should I include this kill or should I not include it? But because, you know, it actually counts as a kill. So I was like, you know, I mean, let me put it, go ahead and put it in my viz. I felt bad because the deep didn't have any kills, right? I mean, it's, I think it was just the dolphin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's the dolphin, which, you know, in, in, a, in a joke to like the sort of Aquaman-ness of him, he can talk to. And the implication is that they've had a prior relationship. So it's like he's saving an ex-girlfriend and then accidentally launches her out of his van. And it's like a slapsticky, like horrible moment. But because of the context of the show is is hilarious because the deep can do no right. He just always makes everything worse and worse all the time. Oh, man, that's too funny. But yeah, like uh, your your visits are so fun and like you cover topics that I think are fun. So I really like digging into your stuff. So your Matrix Viz, which looks like the Matrix when you look at it, because the colors are so spot on, like you've got the black background and sort of the glowy green to it. Um, this is a project you collaborated on with Priya Padam, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so back in, I think it was early December, uh, Priya reached out and we just started talking about the Matrix 4 that was coming out soon on HBO Max and she had mentioned she was like hey I mean let's do a collab viz together and it could be on any topic and I was like yeah definitely so we didn't actually have the Matrix viz in mind at the time we were just talking about it right like the Matrix 4 movie but like the next morning I'm like wait a minute we were talking about the Matrix movie so let's just make a dashboard on the matrix so the next morning when i woke up i i texted priya and i was like hey priya let's let's make a viz a collaborative viz on the matrix and she was like yeah definitely that's such a good idea and then we just started like you know thinking through it like the idea like what kind of data do we want to collect like where are we going to find the data and a lot of the data was pretty much online um so it was it, it took us about two weeks to get done but it was really fun I think it's interesting. I love um, visas that explore, like I enjoy Rotten Tomatoes data a lot as for one reason, because it's got the, the critical scores, but now that they do both critic and audience scores. I always love finding the gaps there. So I did a whole Nicolas Cage viz rather than like in, in the show community, there's this whole um, joke where there's a class Nicolas Cage, good or bad, because Nicolas Cage is an actor that's been all over the place, both as sort of a human being and in terms of quality as an actor. So he's done some really incredible work that he um, he got lots of, you know, um, sort of awards for and a lot of credit for. And then he just delivers some truly insane performances at times when you're like, what were you even thinking when you did this? Like he, he did this movie Vampire's Kiss, which is I can't recommend it highly enough just for the sheer audacity and insanity of the performance he delivers or Wicker Man with like his whole thing with the bees. Anyway, I'm going too far, but. <laughs> as as you look at the scores that you have for like the matrix matrix reloaded and revolutions like the matrix and matrix reloaded are both pretty close in terms of audience and critics both are like three points apart um the matrix movie is in the you know high mid 80s matrix reloaded is in sort of the low 70s and then matrix revolutions which brings i know the... yeah, yeah matrix revolutions like i just had no idea why it has such low ratings to be honest i think the matrix revolutions was one of my favorites it was probably i prefer the matrix revolutions over matrix reloaded because i felt like there was more act it was more action-packed than matrix reloaded but i don't know that's just my opinion right it's a good point because those two movies were filmed back to back so they were sort of filmed in so many uh, movies do that now, right? Like when they know they're going to, they decide to commit to the trilogy, we'll film the second two movies at the same time. And the unique thing about it is like 
they threw so much of the world building on the back of Matrix Reloaded. So Matrix Reloaded has to sort of set up the city of Zion and you know what's going on with humanity. They introduce all these new concepts to the franchise that weren't there before. And then in Matrix Revolutions, like, okay, and now we slam all those toys together like a kid with action figures. And that's when it gets like really exciting when like Zion's attacked and you know everything's coming to a head. But I mean, for me with the whole Matrix franchise, and you may like throw virtual rocks at me for saying this right now, Defar, but I don't know what you do with a fourth movie because in the Matrix trilogy, they set up the fact that, uh, well, I don't spoil Battlestar Galactica here. People. <laughs> Look, if you haven't seen it at this point, like that's on you. But like, they, and the whole thing about the Matrix is that, oh, hey, this happens all the time. Like, not only are you not something unique or original, like there's a whole cyclical nature to this where, yeah, guess what? A chosen one comes along all the time. We sort of reset the matrix and then it all goes back. Like, this is the order of things. Like, this isn't a unique circumstance. And then that's kind of, you know, like, I, I don't know where you go with a fourth uh, movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I from what I read online, I heard the fourth movie is more about the romance between Neo and Trinity. Uh, sorry, sorry if that's a spoiler, but... <laughs> But I heard it was about like actually them too. But it, they're not bringing back the original Trinity though from the last three Matrix movies. Um, I forgot who the actor was, but they're not bringing her back. I think it's a new Trinity, and so I have it's no. It's not idea. Carrie Ann Moss. It's a different actress they're bringing back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a lot of weird choices. That's sort of like the Wachowskis in general. Like in my my book, are like super hit or miss. Like. Uh, I enjoy their stuff on The Matrix. I actually love Speed Racer, even though I don't consider it to be a great movie. I think it's an incredibly fun movie. And then there's other stuff they've done where I'm just like, I don't know what's going on here. Like, it always feels ambitious, but it doesn't always feel good. And like, maybe maybe this is sort of a return to the roots where this is like the original Matrix is obviously a passion project where they were sort of drawing from sort of cyberpunk stuff that they loved, which was big in the early 90s. They're drawing from a lot of anime influence that they clearly had with the way the characters move and fight and everything. And maybe this is an opportunity for them to revisit some of those ideas with sort of more seasoned uh, minds now that they're, you know, older than when they were sort of, uh, you know, young, hungry directors. Yeah, definitely. So uh, you also did a really cool Goosebumps viz. So like as uh, were you a huge Goosebumps reader as a kid? Okay, so funny story. I've never read one Goosebump book. <laughs> why? Why did you do this then? Because I love their shows. <laughs> it's a lot easier to watch the Goosebump TV show than actually read the book. <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm sorry. See, I mean, so, when I was a kid, we had "Are You Afraid of the Dark" on Nickelodeon, which was like Goosebumps because that was at the time when they were cranking out all these "Hey, kids like to be scared" kind of shows. I mean, there were weird shows like Eerie Indiana and stuff like that, but. Are You Afraid of the Dark in general wasn't that scary? Like the whole setup is kids sitting around a campfire and they tell scary stories. But there was this one particular episode with a clown that somehow comes to life by microwaving a comic book that I found exceptionally terrifying. And I'm not like a scared of clowns person. But yeah, like occasionally on the, even on those kids shows, like I don't know if I'd rewatch that episode now. And I've seen all versions of the movie It. <laughs> oh, man. I actually, so... Like the Goosebumps fizz, I actually drew inspiration from Jack Black. Um, it's kind of funny because in the new movie, right, the new Goosebumps movie that he, that came out, I think I forgot what it came out, but uh, it was Jack Black. Uh, it was part one and part two. So I, I saw both parts over the weekend. And then I was like, you know what? 
let me actually build a viz looking at Goosebumps and the TV show ratings, right? So because I actually seen all the TV shows before and I know what it's like. So I went into the uh, movie database, IMDb database, and I started collecting like manually copying, pasting all the data into Excel. And I I think it's about like a hundred records. I don't even remember. <laughs> and I built out the viz and I was like, this looks pretty cool. So I just, you know, I just kind of like went off of the Goosebumps movie. And there's a part of my viz where I actually talk about what, like, like this, um, there was a survey out there on YouGov uh, where it asked like how many, like how do, um, women and men feel about the Goosebumps movie, right? So I found out in my analysis, like in the dashboard, that women favored the Goosebumps movie more than than men actually do. And I feel like and I feel like the Goosebumps movie was actually more comedic, right? Than the actual TV show. Yeah. Um, I feel like the TV show was more focused on like it was more serious. It was never like nothing funny about it. Um, it, it was always like scary and serious and it was very short, but the movie itself was actually really focused on like the comedy aspect of it. Right. Cause I mean, Jack Black is a funny guy, right. He kind of reminds me of Adam Sandler and you know, that didn't really make the Goosebumps movie fun. Uh, I mean, uh, scary. It kind of made it more fun. I mean, it, and it also focused more on that, that insanely crazy doll slappy, um, <laughs> I, I, I think he's in part two. I think, yeah. So he's in part one, Goosebumps movie part one, and in Goosebumps movie part two. So he was in both movies. So the movie really revolved around Slappy, the doll, like the crazy doll. And uh, they didn't really like talk, but the show itself though, like the original show, it actually, it's not just Slappy, right? I mean, you got, it, the, the show actually brings in scary monsters um, from like, from the, the actual Goosebumps book. And that's kind of what I liked about the show because it was a variety of different monsters. It didn't have one specific story. It, it, um, so that, that's kind of like why I built out this Goosebumps this. Yeah, you enjoy sort of the anthology style of it where it's all sorts of different stories rather than sort of a single ongoing plot. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's fun. It's, uh, it's interesting to see how that's been embraced in the modern era. Uh, with shows like American Horror Story, where each uh, season of the show is like, okay, this season, uh, Spooky House. Uh, next season, there's some witches or something. And oftentimes, they'll even use the same actors and just like, it's all new roles every season. And, you know, some some actors frequent uh, the series and sometimes people cycle in and out. But it's always fun. Uh, you know, a lot of shows, particularly like uh, with kids shows, they're more willing to do that with um, stuff like Goosebumps or Are You Afraid of the Dark, where it's like, hey, look, every single episode is a different thing. It's going to be an entirely different cast. It's just going to be a different thing. And it's not going to have that sort of through thread to sort of keep you on the hook. And really, you're just banking on the fact that the quality of what you're creating is enough to sort of, you know, first of all, it's Goosebumps. So it's got a brand associated with it. So that's really helpful. Like people really tie to brands. But you're hoping that the quality of what you're creating is enough to keep people on the hook. Yeah, definitely. So do you have any uh, new projects in the works that are coming out soon? Like how many projects do you, are you the kind of guy, like this is my thing, but I usually have nothing in my head or I've got like maybe one and then I finish that one and I'm empty. Like right now I have three ideas, which is exceptionally rare. Like what's your kind of creative process? So for me, like I, it usually just clicks for me. I don't have a list of ideas. I actually do have one idea right now. So um, I just found out, about the creep show TV show. 
Uh, have you ever heard of that, Zach? Creep I haven't. Show? What is this? So Creep Show is actually like it's on AMC, but Shutter. I think I, I forgot what Shutter. It's a production or something like that that you know airs Creep Show on AMC, but. It is just like Goosebumps, man. I am not kidding at all. It's just like Goosebumps. And I sh- I watched it with my family yesterday night, and my sisters were like, and they're 10 and 12, right? They're like, oh, look, it's Goosebumps. I'm like, no, it's not Goosebumps. This is called Creep Show. And Creep Show is like a more gruesome version of Goosebumps. <laughs> so it's based on the 1982 original film by Stephen King and George Romero. I've so, seen that movie. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's based off of that. So that's that's what that's what Creep Show is. Wow. Okay, man. Like they they found a way to spin an entire show out of that. So it's also like an anthology show where each thing's like a different deal and it's not the same like plot line going through. Yeah. Exactly. So I watched the first episode yesterday, season one, episode one, and it was forty six minutes long. So I thought it was one storyline, right, for forty six minutes, but it actually wasn't. It was two different stories, just like Goosebumps, within 46 minutes. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Uh, this is just like Goosebumps. <laughs> it's kind That's of funny. wild. Man, have you ever seen on Netflix, uh, it's Lock and Key? Lock and, no, I've, I've never seen that before. So Lock and Key is originally like a graphic novel series. It's only like six volumes. So it's like a contained story. And it's written by Joe Hill, who's Stephen King's son. So Joe Hill is also a horror writer. He actually changed his last name strictly so he wouldn't have to sort of deal with the whole like Stephen King thing. Because, I mean, if you're like the child of a famous anything and you're in the same profession, obviously that's a lot to shoulder. But he's incredibly accomplished and very good in his own right. And Lock and Key sort of revolves around this house that has these weird keys in it that this family finds when they move in. And when you put them in a lock and you turn them, each one does something different. So uh, the first series of the TV show was came on Netflix last year, and they have a second coming at some point. But the first uh, season pretty much wraps up the entire comic series, and they're just expanding from that point. But it's, it's a pretty ambitious uh, series, and it's PG-13 enough that you can show it to kids. But also, it's got some real psychological horror going on um, that you don't necessarily need to be super gory to freak people out. And uh, that show is pretty effective at that. Even my wife's uh, into it, and uh, she's not particularly into scary stuff. Stranger Things is about as scary as she goes. But yeah, that show's got some good uh, uh, twists and turns and all sort of comes down to uh, what Stephen King often likes, which is the human thing being scarier than the creepy thing. Because, <laughs> you know, people people can be scary. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's really cool. Yeah, you should definitely do something on that as a follow-up to your goosebumps, like a spiritual successor. Uh, to that now that you've sort of gotten in the groove of uh, doing a lot of TV ratings and stuff. (laughs) Definitely. So you've been at Comcast about three years now and you got into the public visualization stuff through sort of talking with Josh Tapley when he sort of put you on that path was, uh, was there like a, Hey, you know, think about doing some of the public uh, exercise or was it more of a, Hey, I'm opening this door to you. Like, did you know all this was out there and now go play? So it was more like, hey, there's a Philly Tuck coming up. You should stop by the Philadelphia Tableau user group. And I was like, okay, sure. And uh, it was actually like that week when I met him, right? So I kind of went to that Philadelphia Tableau user group and like just watching everyone go up and share the dashboard and stuff like that. That's kind of like how I started to get into it. Um, I really liked what Tableau could do as a tool. Um, 
I'll, I'll be honest, like I was not really into data visualization at the time. I was more of a programmer. Um, so my major back in college was actually MIS, so Management Information Systems. So, Mine too. Oh, oh, really? Oh, wow. Okay. So I really liked finance, accounting, and a little bit of programming. So I felt like the major MIS really combined all three, right? Because I had exposure to finance, I had exposure to accounting, I did a little bit of programming. But, um, and my first gig, like an actual job that I had uh, for an internship was software engineering. Now, you know, some with an MIS background, I wasn't really um, that good in programming, to be honest. And so I felt like that wasn't what I needed to do. So during my internship um, as a software engineer at Comcast is when I met Josh Tafley. So I met him at a networking event. And then that's when, like, you know, I went to the Tableau user group and at the Tableau user group, they mentioned the Makeover Mondays. And I just started getting into the Makeover Mondays while I was an engineer. <laughs> so I was an engineer from nine to five, like doing my internship day-to-day -day jobs. But then when I went back home, I actually started building out my little tiny dashboards, like the bear attacks and all that stuff. So was, that's kind of how like I got into it. And then for my second gig, which was another internship that I had, was actually data analysis. So it was data analytics. And then that's when I started using Tableau on that job for the first time, like an actual full-time job. And then I got converted full-time as a data analyst um, at Comcast, and I stayed on for two years. And just recently, I got promoted to uh, to senior analyst on a different team. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear a lot of people's journeys because um, the path to being like a data analyst, and not everyone that uses Tableau is a data analyst, but the path to using um, this tool or creating data visualizations is far from linear. And while a lot of universities now are sort of offering majors that sort of point in this direction, it's still really a fairly new field in terms of maturity. I mean, you see like people talking about being a data scientist, but um, you'll, you'll see like uh, there are job listings that say must have 10 years of data scientist experience. It's like, I'm not even sure the term data scientist has existed in any sort of concrete format for 10 years. Like, yeah. Uh, so much of this is still sort of being meted out. And, you know, while we have our sort of sacred texts in terms of the profession, like and it is a practice profession, much like being an attorney where you can't just learn the skill and be done. Like much like being a programmer, you can't learn one programming language and be done for life. You have to sort of be continually evolving and much like that. While, you know, Tableau will probably be around for a long time. You can't just sort of learn a little bit about how to present data, you have to continue to be maturing because there's better ways to do it all the time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, so and like, I'm actually a first generation college graduate in my family. And originally my family is from Afghanistan. So, you know, when I was going into college, I really had no clue what I wanted to do. Um, and in my mind, I was thinking, I was like, you know what, let me just do four years, find a job that you know, that makes sense. And then uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, and then finally, maybe I, you know, we could, because we like, my family and I, we actually lived in a three bedroom apartment. It was a seven of us for 10 years, right? So, and we had to share one bathroom. That's a funny part. <laughs> so I never thought like, I never thought of data visualization as a career. And 
um, once I, you know, got into Makeover Monday community, uh, to be honest, like the Tableau community and data analysis has has honestly reshaped my career and like, and my personal life in so many ways. I actually ended up buying a house for my family at the age of 23. Wow. So I was, that was two years ago. So I'm 25 right now. <laughs> so I, I, we moved out of the house, the apartment that we lived in. It was a three bedroom apartment. And now we, you know, like that's what Tableau and the Tableau community did for me, right? Like at, at a personal level and at a professional level, like if I didn't know about Tableau or Tableau community or never met Josh Tapley, then I probably don't know where I would be right now. So, you know, huge thank you to everyone out there. You know what? I can't think of any better place than that for us to wrap. You're already thanking people. Is there anything you'd like to shout out today before we close up? Uh, Priya and Padam and I actually have a VisConnect presentation on April 17th. Uh, we will be talking about our Matrix uh, Viz collaboration that we did. It's going to be really fun. So, And we hope that you could join us. And I just want to thank the Tableau community again for uh, their support these last two years and give a huge shout out to my leadership team at Comcast and all my mentors for really helping me become a better version of myself. Uh, thank you all. That's amazing. Thank you, man. Thanks for coming on, Gafar. And I hope we can do this again soon. Awesome. Thanks, Zach. See ya. Data Plus Love is recorded and produced by Zach Bowders. Our music track is We Are Legends by Alex Stoner. Hey, you're still here? Um, you're probably waiting for like the next podcast uh, to kick in, probably something better. Um, thanks for hanging on. Anyway, if you're picking up what we're putting down, uh, consider buying us a cup of coffee on ko-fi.com slash D-A-T-A-P-L-U-S-L-O-V-E. Um, just, you know, drop $3 in our tip bucket. It helps us buy better equipment. It helps us uh, pay for razor blades to keep me from looking like a wolf man. And it keeps uh, Mark's head looking so shiny and beautiful. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll never put anything behind a paywall. And thanks to your patronage. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3 and you can get more if you choose or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one. You won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network.